Chicago. This is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring Art Sear from Carthage College, Republican Stephanie Hitt, and Republican Doug Truax. Our program tonight coming to you from the National Radio Hall of Fame studios, specifically the Paul and Angel Harvey studios at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in downtown Chicago. Thank you very much for joining us on this uh, Thanksgiving weekend. I hope that uh, if you're coming home from the uh, Thanksgiving holidays and you're on the road, you're driving carefully and you've been well fed over the last uh, 72 hours. And again, we thank you very much for being with us. Doug Truex is one of our guests this evening, uh, uh, served in the U.S. Army, uh, ended as captain many, many years ago. My question to you, Doug, is um, we have troops stationed all over the world. But most notably, obviously, we've been focusing on what's happening in the Middle East. The president visited Afghanistan on Thanksgiving Day to meet with the troops. Are you worried that the president is moving too fast to pull troops out of Middle East operations? Um, a little. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's moving pretty quickly. Uh, I do understand the concept that that's what he ran on, and uh, he's delivering um, I think we have to be careful, though, because we do have situations where we have great force multipliers out there where we just have a, a small number of troops backing up a lot of troops from some other country or the Kurds or whatever else, and uh, it works really well for us. So um, got to be cautious, but, um, you know, it's our system. We elected the president, and he ran on this, and so uh, to his credit on some level, he's delivering, and uh, I, I would like to see it go a little slower, but, uh, but I get it. Artsir, your area of expertise is diplomacy, but uh, what is your thought about troops and the pulling back of troops as the president has suggested? He appears, as, as Doug suggested, he seems to be uh, kind of, uh, you know, got a bee in his bonnet about pulling troops out. Are you worried that he's going to pull too many out? Me? No. Our military is very skillful at lots of things, including redeploying troops and getting around even presidential orders when they don't want to follow them. And with his usual flair and drama, uh, he announced that we were pulling out the 3,000 troops very dramatically, and then it came out a few days later that they're simply being moved around. We have a tremendous number of forces on the ground. I worry a lot about the fact that uh, the several thousand troops in Syria are not enough to, they're enough for sure to get us involved in a general war, perhaps with Russia. Uh, but they're not enough to make a significant difference. We do have tremendous naval and air assets in the region, which if we had an effective foreign policy in that area, I think would be our main source of military leverage. Stephanie Hitt, what's your reaction to uh, troops around the world and whether or not the president's uh, pulling back in the Middle East too quickly? Well, I, at first, you know, when he first announced the withdrawal in Syria, I was, like many Republicans, a little concerned. But he, you know, he did sort of backtrack on that, and he kept, you know, he did redeploy troops and uh, kept, you know, walked back, walked that back a little bit, which, I mean, to me, shows the fact that he is willing to reconsider these kinds of decisions, and uh, he isn't just going to do something just because it's a campaign promise. And Does it also mean that he may think first and talk second? Or talk first and think second? I think that he may <laughs> announce depends. first, but I, I think he's always prepared to do what he has to do to keep. I think he does realize that um, some stability in the Middle East is important and keeping Americans safe. And whatever has to ha do happen for that 
to, to come true, he will do, um, even if it means walking back. Do we need an explanation by the president or, or other leaders nationally, Doug, that basically explain that, you know, in World War II, uh, we went to Japan, we went to Germany, and here it is 50, 60 years later, <laughs> and we have tens of thousands of troops there, and that, uh, you know, if you get Korea, and, and if you go to, uh, if you start a war somewhere, yeah. uh, you're likely to have a significant number of troops there for 40, 50, 60 years. I mean, is, is that is right. even even though in his campaign he said he wants to pull people back, mm-hmm. is that not a reality of of life in America? Just having them out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, certainly uh, historical precedents that um, you want to make sure that uh, you don't do anything rash. I mean, that's why we're bringing this up about, you know, should he think about it more? <laughs> um, you know, I, I really think that. Uh, you know, when he was running and, and when he when he won, the idea is, hey, look, I'm not I'm not in this for more wars. And in fact, I'm trying to pull this back a little bit. And um, I think that that is where a majority of the public is, too, because to your point, you know, on, on some level, you start to, you do have to ask yourself, why are we spending all this money and all this time? I don't think that uh, we're ever going to be completely out of all these places. Um, I don't think that that's practical. Uh, but um, I think we got to a place in our country. It was like, let's take another look at this and make sure we're doing the right thing going forward. Stephanie, right. should, should the president be negotiating with the Taliban? I mean, he surprised a lot of his own people again when on his recent trip to Afghanistan, he suggested that, uh, you know, maybe there, there was a ceasefire that was being planned and he wanted to, you know, negotiate with Taliban, even though a couple of months ago he said that we weren't going to do that anymore. I mean, uh, these, I, you these know, mixed signals, I mean. Uh, send out mixed signals. I, I don't think it's the wrong thing to be willing to engage with the Taliban, to have conversations. I think that we've always taken this position. We don't negotiate with terrorists. We don't sort of. We don't somehow um, give them, you know, we boost them in other people's eyes if we're willing to negotiate them. We don't want to be on the same level as they are. I think it would be uh, silly to think that on some level Americans aren't talking with the Taliban. Um, I don't think that there's any way we could ever have an agreement with them and believe that it would actually be held by the Taliban. I think that's naive, and um, I don't think the Taliban has ever proven to be – you know, a worthy, uh, trustworthy negotiating ally. Are you worried that he might be willing to give away the store just because it's going to uh, maybe, uh, at least in a, in a campaign year, uh, he's going to be seen as keeping his promise when, uh, you know, maybe he would cave in too much to the Taliban or to uh, North Korea? No, I don't. For all the public statements, he doesn't actually do much. And I think in the current mm-hmm. world, he doesn't in terms of substance, substance of policy. I'm not trying to be... Yeah. Be witty, and so he shouldn't be. He shouldn't be critical for his bravado. Well, I think it's one strength from my point of view, from a much more important point of view, the serving military line uh, men and women in our armed forces support him and vote for him to a surprising, to me, surprising degree. Uh, quite apart from his own uh, uh, personal history, they do that because for different reasons, because he's. He says, and has followed through to a degree, we're not going to be deploying troops overseas. I'm not going to get us involved uh, in conflicts that are unnecessary. Uh, Starting with the Clinton administration, from my point of view, it borders on being criminal, the degree to which we have deployed forces over and over again around around the world uh, with not enough rest time, with not enough R&R time. 
it's something that we don't talk about politically like a lot of other important things, but it's that, that state of affairs that generates the support for the president. Do you think the troops are really excited when the president shows up to give them a turkey dinner? Oh, definitely. Yeah, for sure. And I, I wanted to, uh, Art said something too about the operational tempo. And I remember that specifically when I was in, I served in the beginning of the Clinton years and, and the the operational tempo was just going through the roof because we we're decreasing the size of the military no. and increasing no. everything that we were Thank doing. Thank you. Yeah. No. Got a pause. 1-800-723-8229 from coast to coast and border to border around the world on beyondthebeltway.com. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us this wonderful Thanksgiving weekend. A new exhibit from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Stay tuned. Rock on TV. Artifacts from the Jackson 5, Sonny and Cher, Elvis, Cindy Lauper, ZZ Top, Eric Clapton, and more. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications, 360 North State Street, Chicago. From bandstand to gaga, let's rock on TV. For info and tickets, visit museum.tv. Experience the pure holiday magic of Goodman Theatre's A Christmas Carol. For over four decades, the heartwarming story of Scrooge's discovery of kindness and empathy has enchanted more than a million theatergoers of all ages. The Chicago Tribune calls it a beloved holiday tradition that tugs at all the right heartstrings. Performances run November 16th through December 29th only. Get tickets for A Christmas Carol today at goodmantheater.org. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago, and uh, Doug and Stephanie and everybody, uh, we were all talking about the, the, the sort of the appearance of the White House or the president uh, over in Afghanistan. And the only question I have is because I saw pictures of him, like in a bomber jacket or fatigue or whatever. Right. So there was other, you know, he had other uniforms or garb or wardrobe, as he would say, putting on. But the, you know, the sight of him in a blue suit serving a mess, just it didn't. It looked funny to right. me. <laughs> Should have had something else on. Yeah, yeah. or at least, at yeah, least, was, a, you know, he's at very, least an apron. He's <laughs> always been very proper. Like He always talks very much about respecting the Oval Office and how you always wear a coat and tie when you're yes, in the Oval Office. Yes, and he office. does. And I think that it's it's a sign of his respect right. for the troops is to be like, I, I'm dressing out of respect for you. Um, and we also talked about this. If he had shown up wearing sort of maybe the flak jacket or mm. something like that, who knows? People or as George Bush would have done. George right. Bush always dressed the part. But but you know, George Donald, W. George W. Mm-hmm. Don, and they and they did make fun of George Bush sometimes for well, doing it. Sometimes well, they yeah, did. Landing on the mission and, accomplished. And too. so <laughs> you know, Trump's going to be you know damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. If he sh- showed up wearing the bomber jacket while handing out food and stuff, people would have said, oh, you never served. What are you doing wearing the outfit? I mean, I just think that uh, the uniform, I think that uh, um, he did the right thing by showing his respect. Talk about criticism. Art, Art, are you concerned that some of these, because he he has appeared before troops before, Mm -hmm. are you concerned that maybe some of these appearances are taking on more of an aura of a campaign rally in front of uh, troops and the troops are being used as props, as some Democrats have charged? Well, good that Obama well, never did that, but go ahead, Art. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a bipartisan uh, piece of props, and I, uh, I I agree with Doug. I think the actual troops really appreciate it, no matter who is president, and it's something of a tradition in modern times for the president to do that. Just surprise. And not so modern times. Lyndon Johnson 
on at least one occasion. Yeah. And an well, unsurprised visit to yeah, Cameron Bay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Nixon. And and, and Nixon I, I, made secret trips to Vietnam. Yeah. But yeah. anyway, no, it's, it's very much uh, well, acceptable, and I, I think to be admired. Ask Newsweek. It was a su- secret trip. And uh, they, you know, they. Um, oh sure. He was. It was going to be reported that he was going to spend the holiday golfing in, in Mar-a-Lago, and it turns out that he did. And he was only there for a short time. So to say that he was milking it or trying to use it for is a little. And I want to say one other thing too about the him showing up there. So when you're in the military, you know your chain of command, you know, yeah. and it's just like if a one star shows up or a two star or a three star. Well, he's he's yeah. at the top of the pyramid. And so he is the commander in chief. So he's the top guy. And or to have him show up is it's you know it's a little bit the celebrity inside the military yeah. that you just the, you get to you get to see him and meet him and shake his hand. Hopefully that's what uh, is, is a great thing for all those folks. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that's going Absolutely. on in, in the military now is the the recent decision by the president uh, to uh, to pardon three. Uh, uh, members of the military, special forces, who have been charged with war crimes to varying degrees of war crimes. Uh, what is your reaction, Doug? The way that the way that not only what the president did—he certainly mm-hmm. had the right to do it—but yeah. what about the issue of morale and, mm-hmm. and and the involvement of the Secretary of Navy, who was forced to resign over this? Yeah, I, I think that 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 it's can and should. All right, so he can do whatever he wants in that regard because he is the commander in chief. He's at the top. He can do, he can do those things. The should is a different animal in this case because there's some issues going on inside the SEALs, and they're trying to figure that out. And uh, I always really super impressed when I was in the military about the self-policing inside the military. You always see that there's something goes wrong inside. The, there's People get assigned. There's boards. There's reviews. There's everything else, and, it, and it's a very self-policing environment. I think that's what they're trying to do. So I understand why they would get upset that he would go around them, but you got to remember <clears throat> Commander-in-Chief – He's the only elected guy inside the military, so you know he gets to do what he wants, and that's how our Constitution's set up. So can and should, two different things, but he, he can do that. Is this bending over backwards to, uh, as he talks about the war fighters, he, the president wants to be with the war fighters, that this also is maybe about sort of the... Uh, the, the enlisted or the grunts, the, the the real fighters that are out there, like the like the, uh, the special forces, and it's it's not the brass, it's not those sitting either back in the Pentagon or or back of lines making decisions. So it really is about it's the officers against the uh, the infantry. No, Does anybody see it like no, that? No, I don't see it that way at all. Okay. I think that even those boards <clears throat> that review those situations, most of those officers on those boards have combat experience. And even to say, even the admirals and the generals, in this case, the admirals. So these are uh, not armchair generals. Former SEALs. You know, a lot of yeah. them, they know their stuff. So it's, they can't, yeah, it's, it's not like two different worlds. So what do you, what do you think of this? Well, you know, well, we should mention your daughter is in the air force. So I don't know. Right. How much yeah. She's at the academy. At and, level, but, well, uh, it's, it's really interesting because one of the things that's very, that's sort of, at issue here are rules of engagement. Mm. And it is, you know, we are asking people to go into the worst situations in the world and literally make snap second, you know, split second decisions, life and death decisions. And knowing that, you know, and you have to create a culture where people are trained to be able to make those decisions and all, and, and the circumstances surrounding those are all taken into consideration because, you know, they're going to get second-guessed, or they're going to have to be able to live with those decisions that they make themselves morally. Um, And so that is a really important thing. So having people 
there's there is one way of looking at this, and that is that sometimes the higher up you go, you know, the farther away you are from those actual split second life decisions, and having those. Um, reevaluated by people who aren't necessarily in the same position or who have a maybe, you know, maybe there's a politically correct agenda that's, <clears throat> that's defining how we're going to engage, but that's not necessarily communicated to um, the people on the ground or it doesn't mesh with the reality of war. And so now, you know, we there has to be a way to 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 bring those two together. Art, how do you see it? To me, it's a very strange case. Obviously, the accused is someone who is very unpopular among, among his comrades, and there was a lot of interpersonal tension. I, I'm surprised the military, uh, after dropping very important charges, um, <coughs> decided to convict on on the basis of, of a to me a you know a bizarre lesser charge involving a photograph. There's more going on than what's been released in the news. Thank you for asking. It's very, very difficult, and that's why I think it's important not to be glib and quick in talking about this, Bruce. But do you also think that uh, what you have here is, in one case, you have, the, you have the spouse of one of those charged decided to go on Fox News and make her husband a celebrity, mm-hmm. and that had she not gone on Fox News and had they not sort of rallied to this guy's cause, rallied in the fact that they kept giving her airtime to tell her story, that uh, this case would have gone away. And, and does that set up a signal that, uh, you know, people know that if you want to get to the president, you get on Fox and Friends, you get on Fox News, and that this was a, a carefully orchestrated way to, to go around, uh, you know, the uniform code of military justice and the court-martial and everything else, yeah. because this was a media-savvy wife. Yeah, it's bad precedent in that regard. And that's why I saying, you know, should it be done? I don't think <clears throat> so, especially if there's already... Uh, the process underway of reviewing things. And, um, yeah, I, I agree. Some of these things you can look at and say, well, that's not that big of a deal or split second and all that stuff. It's just, you know, the president doesn't know. But if there's going to be a whole board to review and a whole process inside the military to review this stuff, they're going to figure it out and get to the right solution. Well, we hope that the president in making this decision – had the most thorough review himself. Mm. Now we don't know. None of us know like how that was presented to. A thorough Trump review. A thorough Trump review. No, that's a new but, concept for me, Stephanie. But you a know, there, and there Trump were review. there were discussions. I mean, there had you know supposedly never, there was discussions about that. procedural irregularities that didn't necessarily conform with that. Mm. And if that was the case, then maybe this was the right case to review. You don't. We don't know that. We're not going to have all that information. Unfortunately, it was a thorough review of all the all Fox there. News on the subject. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Is that what you meant, Art? <laughs> um, well, but you know what? That is, I don't mean to interrupt, but the um, but that's the reality we live in today. Is we have media, we have social media. There are new and different ways to change the news, to get out the news, to influence people in ways that did not exist 20 years ago, 15 mm. years ago, whatever. So this is a reality that even our military is going to have to... We, we see this with the police as well. I mean, how many police decisions are second-guessed now um, and somebody goes running to the media and now you know now people have to have body cams and things like this? The reality is there's now this outlet 
to get, you know, the media, even the military isn't even closed off from social media anymore. And that's something, that's a reality now. Do you, does, does, is everybody comfortable? You know, we, we've had some high visibility departures from uh, this administration. Yeah. Uh, General Mattis, uh, uh, General McMaster. I mean, we've had some really five-star, allegedly yeah. top-quality people who came in and and they did they, they they couldn't cut it. General Kelly, uh, another one being, with strong military credentials. Now again, the current crop that's there, they're not they're not name brands. They don't have enough. They don't have as much brass on their uh, on their lapel as, as those that came before them. But are you comfortable as a as a military guy yourself, Doug? And I want to get everybody's response. Are you served uh, the country in, in the intelligence? Did you not, Art? Yeah, in the army. Okay, in the army. So uh, the question is, are you? Are you comfortable that the quality of the people that we have right now, even though they may not be household names, that they're as good as they can be and should be? Yeah, I'm very comfortable with where we are on it. And I, and I think that, uh, you know, I wasn't ha – I love Mattis. I was happy – I was not happy to see him go, and that was a little difficult. But the current crop is great, and, um, you know, he's – Trump's a different guy, and he's, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's hard to work with at times, but he's doing all the things that he thinks are the right thing to do, and uh, it, I think it's working out. I think everybody would agree that he may be a difficult guy. 1-800-723-8229, taking America's political pulse from coast to coast and border to border. Now in our 39th year on the air. Nice to have you with us this evening. Back to conversation when we roll on from Chicago. The economy is not working for everybody, especially those in jobs where unscrupulous businesses keep wages lower by hiring millions of illegal workers. Those businesses could use the government's e-verify system to prevent illegal hiring, but they refuse. What's best for the country? Let businesses continue to hire illegal workers or require e-verify, raise wages, and recruit left-behind Americans? See what voters want at eVerifyWorks.com. Paid for by Numbers USA, because numbers count. Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives like physical therapy to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thanks very much for joining us. And uh, we're going now going to take a moment, as we always do, to let each of our guests introduce themselves. And we're going to begin tonight with Doug Truex. Hi. Thanks, Bruce. Uh, so um, going back a ways, I went to West Point, six years active duty military, and then I was a healthcare entrepreneur. I uh, ran for U.S. Senate in the 2014 cycle. Didn't win, obviously. And uh, started Restoration Pack, founder and president of that. And we get involved mostly in Senate races around the country. Are you going to run again? Uh, you never say never. You don't know. You know something could happen, but uh, definitely staying involved, doing a lot of races. Yeah. Art Sear joins us. Art, I'm Art Sear from Carthage College in Kenosha, Wisconsin. I work at the Clawson Center for World Business. Tom Clawson is our graduate from quite a while ago, uh, who was in the Army Air Corps in the Atlantic uh, during World War II and ran both Bank of America and the Bus World Bank. Not and how long have you been on this program? I've been on this program. 
uh, for a long time, Bruce. You were an intern when you started, were you not? <laughs> no, it's forever young. My youthful... Yeah, the, uh, Council, Chicago Council on Foreign Relations. Council right? on Foreign Relations, now yeah. Global Affairs. It's a very it's large a and substantial ago. organization, and we were very successful, and that's how I met Bruce Dumont. And as a result of being at the Council, uh, I commend these and its successor organization to you because it's for that reason that I became acquainted with Bruce Dumont. Very that good, and that's why you get all TV this air Now, yeah. also, I did not realize that uh, Carthage College, which is in uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin, just uh, uh, you know, a couple of hours or an hour from uh, Chicago, um, that is one of the top countries in the United States insofar as servicing former service people with, with educational service, service. Serving our veterans, yeah. Um, uh, my colleague, Mr. Batistas, a very dedicated young man from a military family, along with many other dedicated people, including, of course, the rest of our administration. Our college was named number one in the Midwest for service to veterans by U.S. News and World Report. Oh, we're all very proud of that, and we're going to build on that. We have a committee on veterans affairs, and believe me, it's a priority for us. Very good. Uh, thank you, Bruce. Thank you very much. Stephanie Hitt joins us. Stephanie, you've been on the show for a long time, too. Yeah, I think um, I want to say... Not as long as Art. No, no, not quite as... But uh, <clears throat> Mc, McCain, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right, I was. Um, but I'm a political activist in uh, Evanston, Illinois. I've been a delegate to conventions and such for the Republicans. And uh, I'm an Air Force mom. And... Uh, and you have a sister in high positions. And I do. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it. Well, but. we can't. You know, you'll have to kill us all. <laughs> but I will, yeah, but I'll but hint at you. You yeah. can't tell her what she, you cannot say on the air mm -hmm. what she says to you. But sister to sister, on occasion, does she give you some oh, really good tips? Some, sometimes. She certainly gives me a little bit of like... Kind of like finger on the pulse type of thing. Um, I mean, you know, I could sort of openly say, for example, she's she does not hold back in saying that one of our our, our greatest national security threat is China. We should <clears throat> don't forget that. Um, don't get bogged down too much in ISIS. China is a lot more dangerous. So, um, and she spent a lot of time in the Middle East. So she's she's been around the world. But um, what is interesting is. Um, you know, the perspective in terms of um, support of various, she's worked through various administrations and the different levels of support for the national, um, for the intelligence community and the military. It does vary from president to president. And she certainly has her favorites and her least favorites as well. So is she, is she worried that the, uh, that the FBI has been politicized uh, in the last couple of years? It's interesting. Um, I'm, because uh, um, the 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 latest, you know, the the last two were her boss, direct <clears throat> bosses. So, <laughs> um, to be honest, she is so focused on the job at hand, and most people that work in the FBI are in fact focused. There there are very very few that are politicizing and doing this. So I can say with complete confidence, and I think she would agree, that um, the one or two people that have sullied this reputation completely do not represent the men and women that put their lives on the line every day, and they commit themselves well beyond their pay grades to keeping us safe. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that as Americans, we can feel very confident mm -hmm. that our um, national intelligence agencies are, in fact, doing their jobs, and they okay. do it very well and highly skilled. Okay. Uh, by the way, let me mention, if you would like to call in, uh, our toll-free lines are open at one 800 723 
800-723-8289. That's 1-800-723-8289. If you'd like to send me an email, it's uh, beyondthebeltway2019 at gmail.com. If you want to tweet me a comment, it's at dumo at D-U-M-O. Of course, you can go to our website, beyondthebeltway.com, at any point, not only see and hear this program as we do it live, but if you miss it, it's always there. You can always find past shows going back several months, maybe in some cases even several years. And, of course, remember, we are live every Sunday night, not only on Sirius XM Satellite Radio and all of the great radio talk stations from coast to coast that carry this broadcast. We are live on Facebook, and we are live on YouTube. So we're... Make sure you can find us. And if you do, by the way, one other point, I mention this uh, periodically, and I do want to mention since we're in the holiday spirit and the giving spirit, um, if you would like to help this program grow in 2020, uh, I ask you to go to our GoFundMe page. Uh, GoFundMe is an important part of keeping this program going, and I'm not just making this up. I mean, the program is getting to be an expensive burden for me personally, and I'd like to be able to continue it for a long, long time. But again, this is an opportunity. If you like Beyond the Beltway, whether you like the television version, you like the radio version, a way at this holiday time is to go to the Beyond the Beltway GoFundMe page. You can make a contribution, whatever, however small or however large you'd like it to make. It will go to the continued transmission of this program in 2020, which will be a great political year, and I'd hate to have any uh, breakup in that uh, or severing of any of that connection that we have each and every Sunday night. So the GoFundMe page, Beyond the Beltway, uh, I do appreciate any help you can provide. Uh, let's go to uh, Banger with Don Banger. He's, I thought he, I thought he was Banger, Wisconsin. But this is Don Banger Man. calling from Wisconsin. Go ahead, Don. Are you there? Yes, sir. Are you calling from Banger, Wisconsin? I am calling from Bangor, Wisconsin, right in the middle of the country. Okay, and and how? What's the other big town that you're near? Well, I don't have any big towns, but okay. <laughs> yeah. two hundred miles south of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay. Uh, 300 miles west of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Well, it's great to have you with us. Uh, how can we help you with a question or comment tonight? Nice to talk to you. you guys got a great show. I Thank you. I go home every night. To, on Sunday night, I try and be here to listen to you guys. Very good. Well, we, we well, are uh, been on Sirius you. XM for a long time and hopefully for yep. many years to follow. Great. Well, I just got... Uh, <clears throat> I got a little bone to pick with, uh, I'm, I apologize to the lady there, uh, Miss Stephanie. Hit, yep. Uh, okay. Last name. Hit. Hit. I didn't get that either, but does it? H- well, anyway. it's, it's H-I-T-T. <laughs> like hit okay. the ball. Yeah. All right. That, that, all right. Well, well, anyway, uh, when, when she's talking about the, the, uh, Navy SEAL thing there, what the uh, uh, she says? Well, Miss, you say, well, that's a split second decision, and I will say I have never been in combat, and I do understand that it would be uh, there's a twelve year old or a whatever enemy, yeah, that's an issue. But now this feller, well, I'm sure, is a brave guy and a hero. But when you get when this is not a split second decision. To say, here, I'm going to pose with this corpse. Somebody set the camera up. 
We pose with the courts. That's not a split-second decision. Sounds a lot like you could defend Trumpy if he was shooting somebody on uh, Park Avenue or wherever he was. Mm-hmm. So that, that's that. Uh, that kind of irritated me. That point, but so that's. That's all I have to say on that subject. Okay. Well, I think I think a lot of people. By the way, by the way, you you'll recall that you know during the controversy many years ago at the Abu Ghraib prison, where again uh, 60 Minutes did this huge expose. It really embarrassed the United States all over the world. But again, at the core of that story was was some U.S. troop who you know she was having her picture taken. Uh, right. With with a corpse, and it was well, yeah, unsightly and, and the wrong thing yeah, to do. With prisoners that had. Um, hoods over their heads, yeah. and they were sort of making fun of them and doing silly, right. inappropriate poses. And I, I agree. I mean, the, Bruce, I'm glad you brought that up because that's a perfect example. I mean, that's that's exactly what our troops are trained not to do. Um, and I, I agree. I think part of it is that that whole situation, and again, we don't know all the details, that there were several charges that were raised with that particular seal and what ultimately happened was that he was uh, he was absolved of some of the more serious charges, and eventually it was the the posing with the corpse that yeah. that they settled yeah. on. Don, are you mm-hmm. still on the line? Or are you gone? Are you still there? I'm here. Okay, right. Don, yeah, here's I'm a here. question. Can you hear me? Uh, yeah, I can. I'm. I'm uh, I, we're going to. I'm aware of. Okay. I'm aware of that. We're going to. We're going to switch point. gears. That I want. Exactly I want. Don, I want to. I want to ask you point. a question. We're going to switch gears. We're, we're changing subjects now, but I want you to Go respond first. Um, one of the things that has been said in the Democratic primary, and, and you may not be a Democrat, but I'm going to ask you a question about the general feeling uh, within the Democratic field. A case has been made that one of the things that, that makes Pete Buttigieg stand out is because he has been in the military, he knows what it's like to be in the military, although he has not been a general. My question to you is, I need a quick answer, is it important for you that whoever the president is should have some form of military service? Yes or no? Yes. He did. Okay. Good point. Yes. We'll be We'll be back. Thank you for your call. Happy Thanksgiving to you. I'm Bruce Dumont. We'll pick up on that discussion when we come back. How do you feel, actually? A new exhibit from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Stay tuned. Rock on TV. Artifacts from the Jackson 5, Sonny and Cher, Elvis, Cindy Lauper, ZZ Top, Eric Clapton, and more. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications, 360 North State Street, Chicago. From Bandstand to Gaga, let's rock on TV. For info and tickets, visit museum.tv. Experience the pure holiday magic of Goodman Theatre's A Christmas Carol. For over four decades, the heartwarming story of Scrooge's discovery of kindness and empathy has enchanted more than a million theatergoers of all ages. The Chicago Tribune calls it a beloved holiday tradition that tugs at all the right heartstrings. Performances run November 16th through December 29th only. Get tickets for A Christmas Carol today at goodmantheater.org. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thanks very much for joining us. Let me put my glasses back on so I can continue to talk. And uh, I was talking about uh, to to Don and Banger, uh, Wisconsin, and I'm asking our guests here. 
Pete Buttigieg is going around saying, okay, I'm a guy with military experience. Cabby Gabbard has said the same thing. Tulsi Gabbard has said the same thing. Um, How important is it that someone has served in the military? And just because you are a relatively low-ranking member of the military, does that give you uh, the, the right and the smarts to make intelligence decisions as the commander in chief, Art? Absolutely. It sure helps. I'm fortunate okay. as part of my work for the college and Clausen's uh, wishes concerning the chair. I, do, I write a weekly newspaper column and other news media, um, and I try to make the point regularly that there should be particular value for candidates who have military experience. With the end of the draft, way back in 1973, we have a professional military that's more and more segregated from the rest of society, and polls show that. It's a huge mm-hmm. change. It's far more effective and far more professional than back in my day, um, and I'm not, I think the decision was inevitable, but it's a major political challenge today, and I think that's why people who've served on active duty, um, and particularly if they've been in, in challenging areas in the Mideast or Afghanistan, um, or elsewhere, that they should get special. Uh, well, we attention. don't know that about Buddha Judge at the moment. But I'm not. I'm not endorsing him individually. No. But you mm-hmm. asked me a general question, and I, I, did. I gave generals. you what I think is an important answer. Thank you yeah. for asking. Thank you. Well, I appreciate your answer. Well, I feel. Yeah. I feel like it's it it. It's, you, you certainly, if not having served, have to have a special understanding and a special level of respect for the military and for the sacrifices that are made and for the chain of command and for the training and the development of our, you know, modern-day soldiers. <coughs> so um, we, you know, there, there are many people on the Republican side who – one of the reasons they didn't like Obama is they didn't feel like he had a full respect for the military or a full understanding of that. Mm. Um, I think people feel di- those same people feel differently about Donald Trump because he has so openly embraced the military and supported them in a way that many other candidates, especially those on the Democrat side, have not. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Um, from my own experience, so I was at West Point with George H.W. Bush as president. As soon as I graduated, thereafter, shortly thereafter, Clinton became the president. And that was a whole draft dodging, all that. And, um, you know, having looked back on it now and having served, I definitely think it is, it, it's difficult for people in the military to have a situation where suddenly you have a commander-in-chief who, like I said earlier, is the top person in the military. It's a very... You know, above all the generals, above everybody else. And if they've not been in and that's their first job in the military, it does make you feel a little uneasy, honestly, because you're like, they don't really know what we do and what, what it's like down here. Now, if they will listen to those around them that will tell them, hey, this is how this works, and if they have a healthy respect, um, <clears throat> like Stephanie said, I think there was definitely during the Obama years uh, a healthy uh, at times, disrespect for what happened in the military and a constant need to change it and make it look differently and a less emphasis on war fighting, <clears throat> which is the most important thing the military's got to do. And that was damaging. And we're still uh, feeling the effects of that. Right. Edward is listening to us on WCGO, our flagship station in Chicago. Edward, go ahead. You're on the air. Yes. Uh, good uh, evening, everyone. Uh, I wanted to good comment uh, regarding what happened in uh, London and Netherlands. Um, some of the people on the Fox uh, panel today this morning were saying, well, maybe because of the redeployments in Syria 
and, you know, some of those people breaking out of prison, that down the line there could be some more terrorist attacks might be even worse than the stabbing. Yeah. Well, I think that's I think that's possible. I'm also going to say something probably a lot of people will not like, but I, but in in the world of terrorism, um, when I hear about a stabbing in London, and two people are stabbed, or uh, in F in uh, Amsterdam, when I think one person was stabbed, it's hard for me to view that as terrorism. Now I know it's it's it spreads terror through the city when you're right. there. If you're vacationing, or you live there, but it's 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 not a suicide bombing. It's not it's not mass casualties. It's it's a guy with a knife who's right a and, berserk. And a fake, I mean, they're, a they're fake pe- suicide vest. Yeah, yeah, a, a fake, fake suicide. suicide yeah. But I, I just I frankly don't see that as terrorism. No. Well, I, I, Reaction. I, no, I, I think it is. I, I, I think that the motivation is still the same for a lot of these people. I mean, as far as we can tell, often it's that way. Um, I don't when – I, when I was – I know what he's talking about. I was watching that panel too. <clears throat> and the thing that came to mind is I don't remember if it was after um, Nice uh, and the, the, the truck down the yes, – the and I think the it market, was yeah. – I don't know if this is it or not. I could be wrong, but um, the French president um, – I'm trying Macron. to blank. Yeah, Macron. There was some comment about, well, this is just the new way it's going to be going forward. There's this kind of attitude across Europe. It's like, well, you know, what are you going to do? We can only control so much, right? And I, and I get the feeling we look back on all these situations, and, and, and this may happen this, this time too, government failure. A lot of these, you know, we have all these government employees, and they're supposed to be doing job after job to figure out what's going on, and, and they just don't catch it sometime, and, they don't, and they're not held accountable. Well, his was... You had, a, you had a response to it? I think relating it to our military forces and military deployments is um, not a good approach. I think they're generally unrelated. We've got to pause. Next hour for you, Stephanie. 1-800-723-8029. Thanks for the callers. We'll be back with another full hour of Beyond the Beltway. Don't go away. about how much someone drinks. Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. 
My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career that I could be proud of. At DAV, we're on a mission, helping veterans of all generations get the benefits they've earned. I'm Cece. My victory was finishing my education. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. The economy is not working for everybody, especially those in jobs where unscrupulous businesses keep wages lower by hiring millions of illegal workers. Those businesses could use the government's e-verify system to prevent illegal hiring, but they refuse. What's best for the country? Let businesses continue to hire illegal workers or require e-verify, raise wages, and recruit left-behind Americans? See what voters want at eVerifyWorks.com. Paid for by Numbers USA, because numbers count. GTG, BRB, OMW, be there in a few. You may think that these kinds of texts are fine because of their length, and you can easily send them at a stoplight. But no, answering one text can take your attention away from the road for five seconds. And traveling at 55 miles an hour, that's enough time to travel the length of a football field. Make good decisions. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, Noise, and the Ad Council. Chris Domine is a husband and a father. Chris is an athlete. Chris is even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris was facing a very different story because his kidneys were failing. Basically, the doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant and if you don't do dialysis, you, you are going to die. Fortunately, Chris received a second chance at life, made possible by an organ donor. You know, your well-being changes from loss of hope to hope to better times ahead. More than 100 million people in America are registered organ, eye, and tissue donors, people of every age and ethnicity, because they believe it's the right thing to do. Imagine what you can make possible by leaving behind the gift of life. Learn more and sign up as an organ, eye, and tissue donor. Go to organdonor.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Back in Chicago, President Trump and his lawyers will not participate in the House Judiciary Committee uh, hearings this uh, coming week. Uh, that news broke in the last several hours. So, again, the president is not going to participate. We've gone the whole hour uh, without talking about impeachment. Uh, uh, a word from impeachment uh, from you, Stephanie. Are you oh. ecstatic? Even watching every all these it hearings, is such a sham. Um, I it is the most ridiculous thing and waste of political time and money. And um, it's it's exact. You know, it it doesn't matter what the president did. I'm one of these believers that it doesn't matter what he did. No, 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 no. I'm saying the Democrats are basically their attitude is doesn't matter what he did or didn't. We're going to impeach him no matter what. This is they've been saying this for three years. I don't know anybody whose minds have changed through this process. What about uh, the colleagues that you have at Carthage College, the academics that are up, up there? Do they uh, are they glued to their television sets watching this? No, there's a general disinterest in the political exercise, and I think uh, the Democrat. I think the Democrats made a mistake pursuing this, and it's reflected in the fact that Speaker Pelosi seems to have been quite reluctant to to go ahead with this initially. And ultimately, she did, obviously, but she still might head off an actual vote on yeah, impeachment. They'll put themselves in a terrible yeah. bind politically, I think, if they yeah. do. 
Let's go to calls. David listening in San Francisco. Go ahead, David. Well, how are you? I'm kind of surprised at your guest's uh, position on this impeachment. Uh, $400 million was missing for two and a half months, and where the people of the Ukraine were uh, beleaguered by an invasion from Russia, and uh, uh, they could have used these small arms to protect themselves. Uh, they weren't protected, and that $400 million was missing. So I actually kind of think that they were Trump and his uh, buddies uh, Mnuchin and Wilbur Ross were doing a, a derivative scandal, uh, but I can't prove yeah, that. Can't prove it. But uh, the, the issue Well, tell about, that to Adam Schiff. Uh, it'll go to the list of things <laughs> he can't prove. <laughs> Doug Truax Truax has a question for you, David. I think he was startled by your question. So um, the question I have for you, David, (laughs) is, is, uh, um, you know, we're talking about this. Why why $400 million missing has not uh, uh, concerned anybody at this uh, panel tonight? Well, I I think that uh, I, I, I see these people that are so concerned about this now, but they probably weren't concerned when Obama didn't do anything about Ukraine and Crimea. Um, the fact of the matter, the money went through and no investigation was started. So um, back to the you know, impeachable charge piece, I think it's super hard to get there. I think the Democrats are way out over their skis on this thing. They can't, they can't even go to censure now because the base will revolt on them. So they have to go through with this. And I'm frankly looking forward to Mitch McConnell uh, pulling in you know, Biden and his son to, to talk to them uh, in January, possibly. Do you, right? do you think there should be a... Uh, if the House votes uh, for impeachment, and that's an if at the moment, no. um, likely, do you believe that uh, Mitch McConnell should go forward with a uh, trial in the Senate, or should he just kill it on arrival? Arts here. Uh, I believe he's been very explicit that constitutionally he has to go forward with it, and there's been no serious challenge to that. So there. There would be unless they decided otherwise politically. But he's well, saying. But he, okay, well, here, here's the dilemma if you're Mitch McConnell. A um, uh, trial wouldn't start until the new year. We're looking at January, February. Mm-hmm. Guess what? It's primary season for how many senators are running for. And, you know, he could drag this out and make this the most painful experience for all of these senators if he wanted to. I mean, there's a, you know, there, there there's a part of me that just says why would why would he why would he not why would he not want to do that? In other words, it seems to me yeah. that he will take more criticism if he tries to speed it up and shovel everything under the rug right. as opposed to let this thing play out. Uh, it isn't going to play out on the Democrats' timetable anymore, exactly. as it has. But again, uh, some of these... Uh, He's going to be accused of doing that for political reasons, right. to hurt them, even though the right thing to do is to do this properly, to have the right due process and the right procedures. Um, I think the Democrats would love it if he just brushed it, you know, said, okay, dead on arrival. They would love it because they would be free, and then any... Any harm from this impeachment process will probably be forgotten by the time of the election. Okay. Um, except well, again, for that stamp on his, on his head. We're a couple of months right now from from the Iowa caucuses, and, and two months from now we'll be uh, we'll be dealing with that uh, in early uh, in February. Uh, uh, Kwiniak uh, came out with a poll last week, and this is a poll of Democratic preferences 
nationwide, and there's been some significant uh, drops and, and increases in, in this field, Joe Biden remains in first place at 24 uh, percent. That's up from 21 uh, percent last month. So Joe Biden, even though he's taking these hits and everybody thinks that he's slow and boring, he he is. The media is, thinks that. Excuse me, right, sir. Right. The media well, thinks and, that. And obviously all, all the not everybody, Bruce. All the other representatives of the candidates feel that. But again, I, I've not said that on this program. But again, look, he's steady. Uh, he's steady right there at 24 percent. Buttigieg has gone in the last month, has gone up to 16 percent from 10% one month ago. Elizabeth Warren now is at 14%. One month ago, she was at 28%. She has lost half of her followers nationwide, according to Quinnipiac, which, Quinnipiac, which is a reputable poll. And Bernie Sanders, uh, 15% last month, 13% this month. So the guy that's on the rise is Buttigieg, but he's he, he's taken it out of uh, out of Elizabeth Warren's height at the moment, right? Well, you know it's interesting that Buttigieg was when he entered was supposed to be sort of the moderate alternative yes. to Biden. I think what's happening and um, and is that Elizabeth Warren revealed some details of her plans, her Medicare for all, and you know all of these things, and realize I think people are seeing that. The the taxes that they that would be imposed yeah. by average oh, Americans, she, yeah, she's, she's and and they're not buying her argument that your health care costs are going to go down because it's the circuitous argument that what that means is that your wages will increase because the employer won't be paying for your yeah. health care. So bottom, bottom but line, then, they're not buying it. But they're then you're going to get more money, but that money is going to get taxed to you, but it's going to go to better health care. So at healthcare. some point, no does, anybody, does anybody believe, Art, do you believe, do you believe that at some point do you think that Bernie Sanders might catapult past Elizabeth Warren? They're very close right at the moment. Does he, does he, does he steal the mantle from her as you know, the, the leading socialist or, or pro-left candidate in the race. He could. Uh, I'm just a professor, and I've made a lot of. I've been around long enough to have made a lot of uh, bad predictions. Um, I remember them. Yes, <laughs> each each and every one. <laughs> or it's my brilliant insights. You've all you've forgotten yes. them all. Yeah, I, I don't see Bernie catapulting. Elizabeth Warren is the hy hyperkinetic candidate who runs dances. Bloomberg, we ought to spend some time on Michael Bloomberg, which we I think will. is an important development. We will. We'll see if he spends any money on us, but we're going to spend some time on him. 1-800-723-8029 from coast to coast and border to border. And also, uh, in a half an hour, we're going to be joined by Rich McHugh. He was the chief investigator along with Ronan Farrow into the investigation of Harvey Weinstein, which also leads to the story of how NBC killed that story. Great insight coming up in 15 minutes. A new exhibit from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Stay tuned. Rock on TV. Artifacts from the Jackson 5, Sonny and Cher, Elvis, Cindy Lauper, ZZ Top, Eric Clapton, and more. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications, 360 North State Street, Chicago. From Bandstand to Gaga. Let's rock on TV. For info and tickets, visit museum.tv. Experience the pure holiday magic of Goodman Theatre's A Christmas Carol. 
For over four decades, the heartwarming story of Scrooge's discovery of kindness and empathy has enchanted more than a million theatergoers of all ages. The Chicago Tribune calls it a beloved holiday tradition that tugs at all the right heartstrings. Performances run November 16th through December 29th only. Get tickets for A Christmas Carol today at goodmantheater.org. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. One of the things that uh, that we have talked about in past weeks on this program, and that is Pete Buttigieg continues to do very well. Uh, he is not doing well at all with African-American voters. But the reality is uh, Kamala Harris, uh, who is African-American, she's not doing well. And Cory Booker isn't doing that well. The person that's doing the best so far, uh, measured nationally, is Joe Biden, and he is resting, thinks that he believes that when he gets to South Carolina with a large black population, uh, that's going to be, that's where he's really going to be separated from this field. But I wonder that, that there's, there's, it's a long time before they get to South Carolina, and I'm wondering if, if along the way, if Buttigieg can pick up momentum, I wonder at what point does Buttigieg's momentum, if he were to do well in Iowa, and New Hampshire, at what point is he going to say, what do I have to do to get black votes? Because I don't see him going all the way to win the nomination of a party with as large a black base as, it, as the party. And he's got nothing going for him in that, in that well, respect. His South Bend story is not going to help him very much. Um, you know, the, the, are there endorsements? Yeah. Are there, are there oh, things that he can do? Only Obama could yeah, help him. I think Obama's laying that out there a little bit, yeah, that little he bit. may be helping him through that phase if it, if it comes to pass. But I doubt that could happen, but, but I think that may be the plan. Judge if he's not helping Biden? Well, if he, th- if he thinks that, that uh, Buttigieg can actually win and Biden can't, I mean, that's not But that's he's, not Obama's going to ride that for, he's going to wait as yeah, long as possible yeah. to see if Biden really is dead in the water. And if, if it looks like Biden's still alive, he is not going to put his neck out there. Obama is not going to put his neck out there for anyone who might lose. He's not I agree. Do that. I don't know why. I mean, I don't know why he would put his neck out there for anybody. But I'm just saying, yeah. right at the moment, I mean, you've got you you've got two at least in the Democratic field. You have two moderates yeah. that are in first and second place. And again, Amy Klobuchar is still she's only at two percent. And of course, right. she thought that Iowa was going to be a place that was going to that her, she was yeah. going to surprise. But mm-hmm. she's not surprising anybody. Are you worried? Uh, are, are you worried at all about? Uh, Pete Buttigieg, his age and his lack of international or major league political experience, Art Sear. No, not particularly. Obama didn't have okay. a lot of experience. But he either. wasn't 37 years old. No, but he was young and he did, uh, certainly didn't have a lot of international experience. The, fo- the founders, young man, the founders, they were all guys in their, some of them in their early 30s. And they had okay. wives as well who were relatively young, who were important okay. to the founding so this of this is a great good republic. Historic. This is going yeah. back to the old days. You're one of these news people who's trying to stir up a controversy no. where none is there. you one of them kind of... <laughs> You one of those guys? <clears throat> no. Oh, okay. But, but 30, 37 is I've had isn't presidents that are considerably younger yeah. than I. Yeah. yeah, I think because we do live a lot longer now yeah. than we did 250 years ago. Um, that, <laughs> we hope you know, so. <laughs> you know that we uh, as a that uh, you know what is considered. I mean, if yeah. you were 40, you were. You were well past middle age. Back well, I was then. trying and, to be uh, funny, but yes. that's I know, never a good but, idea. but I, I don't know. <laughs> I think his his. It's interesting that his uh, Buttigieg, one of his 
his strongest constituent is suburban white women. Those are the ones. I, I don't. I wonder if they, they all think he's cute. I mean, I, I to be honest, I, you know, I live in that world. I know you do. And women. they all think and he's cute. They're right. all supporting Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> you know, I get invited to all these little fundraisers. Is it? And I hear, isn't he, he has cute? very big? He has very cute big support, and he's well spoken. Very. He has very. Uh, for those around the country. He has a great deal of support in Chicago and Illinois. Yes. Most of the money. I mean, he's raising a lot of money. Well, he's come to Chicago. I mean, he's close to the yeah. city. But I'm saying his. Uh, he. I would say uh, he probably is the most popular Democrat at the national field, at least in Chicago, at least in the circles that that I'm aware of, including. Yeah. Professional well, and, political and, circles. And, and you're, we're talking about educated suburban white women. Well, he's got his Harvard degree. He's got his Rhodes Scholar. He's got his military credentials. So that makes him like, trust, you know, like Why knowledgeable. Why don't blacks like so. him? Why don't blacks like Pete Buttigieg? Is it because mm. of all of those things? It might very well be. It's because he doesn't have uh, a, a, a sense of that he was part of the struggle? Art, you, you're frowning as I ask the question. Why is it that he's having that problem? Um, well, I don't know. And also, uh, the Buttigieg phenomenon is very new. It's another media love affair. Let's see what happens. Yeah. But Joe Biden has actually produced, in terms of civil rights legislation, over a long period of time, he's relatively moderate and conservative. Polls show African Americans, despite um, stereotypes and popular beliefs, they're socially... Uh, conservative and very traditional, and Buttigieg is not a traditional candidate. African Americans are a very traditional voting group, and that's and actually an South, answer to the question. No, and in, and in South Carolina, they tend to be older. They might they they tend to be older. So religious. the young the, and, and religious, the young African American voter. Or the female African American voter that's been very that's been political dynamite for the Democrats, but again they're not gravitating around Kamala Harris. I think she thought that that was going to be her her ticket out of Iowa. It doesn't appear to be. I mean, she she right. seems to be spinning badly in Iowa. There's questions whether or not she will even be in the race maybe, by the end of this year. Maybe she's not seen as African American. Maybe she's seen as a very wealthy, privileged woman, which is what she is, who is playing a role. Maybe that's part of her problem. And what about Cory Booker's problem? Same thing. I, I agree with that mm-hmm. perception. But oh, good. Scholar. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Stanford educated. Yeah, same thing They're as both, Kamala. Yeah. Both of them are Stanford right. educated. I mean, it's funny. Um, there was a recent... Um, How were they different from Barack Obama? I don't know. I mean, he's, I mean, he's a gifted campaigner. He, he and is. Strikes and he, emotional you know cords. what? He did pay his dues working his way up and got a lot of support from Chicago politics. And if there is anyone that's going to help you navigate the the African-American communities that exist all around the country in different cities, it's Chicago. Chicago politicians know how to do that. He also also had a campaign speech. Very Very powerful people. That's a very important point. Very powerful people in the business establishment, for various reasons, got behind Barack Obama. That's a very Very important point. Yes, and and so I think his Barack Obama's success, I think, can be attributed very much to his experience in Chicago, his connections, Chicago politician, working Chicago political style, and of course, 
being on your show, Bruce. Joe Kennedy bought the merchandise mart in 1945, partly to make a lot of money, as usual, and as usual at work, but also for political reasons. Mm -hmm. The history is fascinating, the amount of time as well as money that he and his lieutenants spent getting to know Chicago and Illinois in depth. Looking at the Democratic field as it currently exists, which includes Michael Bloomberg and Tom Steyer, who do you feel, Doug, is the most likely Democrat to give Donald Trump the most significant run for his money and challenges? Maybe not beat him. I don't expect mm-hmm. you to say that any mm-hmm. Democrat's going to beat him. Yeah. But who is Donald Trump's toughest competitor for re-election? Um, I would, in thinking of general elections, you know, I, I could see Bloomberg in the general, but he's not going to make it to the primary. You know, and I, and I look at these other folks that are probably going to make it to the primary, and I don't think they have a chance. So I'm feeling really good about how things um, are looking. I'm gonna. Uh, I think the Democrat most likely to give the run is Biden, and I say that even though he's weak, and I think that Trump will ridicule him and wipe the floor. The point is, our nation is very heavily split, but Biden, of all the Democrats, seems like a safe run for independents who aren't sure about Donald Trump. Art's here. I agree with Stephanie. Uh, Biden's debate in uh, way back in 2012 with Paul Ryan, the vice presidential debate, is revealing. Now, I realize that was a while ago, and Joe was older, but he really wiped the floor uh, with Ryan, who was a very smart, very clever, very experienced politician who just got clobbered. Uh, he's not to be underestimated as a debater. He's not doing it recently, though. He hasn't, he hasn't done it yet. Well, you ask me, I tell you. He's well, a safe haven. Yeah, he's, well, it's not a general election campaign. And no, I don't think he can behave that way, especially with women on the stage. No, that would be disastrous. If I mean, he really beat Ryan to a pulp. He can't do that with female candidates. But I don't think he's doing ba- as badly as the media keeps I reporting. I think he's more, more independent. This election is going to be about the middle, the independents. Sure. I mean, there's going to be 48 are. percent yeah. here, 48 percent here. That's not changing. Impeachment support and whatever showed us that, but um, it's going to be those those independents in the middle that maybe are a little troubled by impeachment or a little bit. I think that that's who we're fighting, and that Biden, as as a more proven moderate, and um, as you know, he's he's safe. And I think that there will be independents that will vote for him for that reason. A us, if a lot of people see the president as unsafe, exactly. Right. And I think, yeah, they. And so you know, Biden is somewhat predictable. He may not be dynamic and magnanimous. He's not going to do anything crazy to change our government. He's not going to do anything crazy to change the economy. I I think that um, for that. Un, undefined middle, Biden is the scariest. I think if Trump. you are. If if you are factoring into this that Bernie Sanders nor Elizabeth Warren have lit any fires in the African-American community right. and the two African-American candidates have failed to, uh, to, to ignite any real enthusiasm there right. and you're relying on, uh, you know, on, a, on, a, on an elder senior s- statesman of the party to rally the black vote and that's the way you're going to win the nomination mm-hmm. and the election given the fact that his record of performance thus far have not been effective. I would say, and this may surprise a lot of people, I think the person most likely to give Donald Trump a run for his money 
by inspiring young voters is Pete Buttigieg. I think Buttigieg at this moment, he's got a long way to go, but right at this moment, I think he has the ingredients to pull off a surprise. I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly. From the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, stay tuned. Rock on TV. Artifacts from the Jackson 5, Sonny and Cher, Elvis, Cindy Lauper, ZZ Top, Eric Clapton, and more. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications, 360 North State Street, Chicago. From Bandstand to Gaga, let's rock on TV. For info and tickets, visit museum.tv. Experience the pure holiday magic of Goodman Theatre's A Christmas Carol. For over four decades, the heartwarming story of Scrooge's discovery of kindness and empathy has enchanted more than a million theatergoers of all ages. The Chicago Tribune calls it a beloved holiday tradition that tugs at all the right heartstrings. Performances run November 16th through December 29th only. Get tickets for A Christmas Carol today at goodmantheater.org. In our concluding segments tonight on Beyond the Beltway, we are going to switch gears and we're going to talk about a subject that we have uh, uh, actually several months ago we talked about uh, for several weeks. And uh, this is the investigation into Harvey Weinstein. And before you turn uh, uh, the radio or, or TV off, uh, don't do so because this story is also about the actions of NBC and, and their decisions to kill a very big story. Joining us now is Rich McHugh. He is an investigative producer, and he is partnered with Ronan Farrow on the Harvey Weinstein story. And uh, the title of the book is To Catch and Kill. And uh, uh, several weeks ago, I had an opportunity uh, with a Chicago Ideas uh, lecture in the city of Chicago to go and see Ronan Farrow and Mr. McHugh in person. And I will tell you, it was one of the most intriguing 90 minutes I've spent in a long time. They not only took me and those uh, visiting uh, uh, at the auditorium that evening inside a, a huge story that has changed society, the Harvey Weinstein story and the, the Me Too movement that's, that was spawned by it, but also we hear first person from an investigative reporter that, was, that while he was gathering information, he was also dealing with the politics of uh, one of the major news organizations in the world. Uh, Rich McHugh, thank you for joining us on Beyond the Beltway. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Good. I want to ask, uh, at, at, at what point in the Harvey Weinstein story did you, and, and you were working for NBC at the time, uh, so was Ronan Farrow. This was before the story went public. You were working on a story about Harvey Weinstein. You were getting the goods, a chapter and verse, on the allegations against Harvey Weinstein. At what point in that process did you say to yourself, wow, this thing is going to be a bombshell and we may have some political problems interior to NBC News? Well, uh, I'll answer that in two parts. So the first, the, uh, I, I knew it was going to be a big deal very early on. Uh, we had uh, asked, Ronan, or we'd asked uh, Rose McGowan for an interview and she agreed. And so we went out to L.A. And, and she's the one that spilled the beans initially. Correct. So she, she, we didn't think she would go on the record. She was rumored in Hollywood to have had a bad experience with Weinstein 
for years, and but never had she gone on the record. And so when she sat down with us and she ripped her guts out about what had happened to her, uh, it was one of the most um, intense interviews I've ever been a part of as a producer. And I've, I've sat through thousands of interviews. And so in that moment, I, I realized, like, wow, this is a big deal, and we have to proceed very cautiously here on out because – uh, this is she's accusing a very powerful person of, of these things, and the pressure is going to be intense. Uh, the resistance we felt from NBC happened shortly thereafter. It um, we, we brought back the interview to New York City, and we you know went over it with attorneys and talked through all the issues and. Ultimately, the, the, the first review of this was like, you know what, we think you guys need more. And we were like, we were disappointed, but we were like, okay, we'll get more. You know, if we, if we cross this massive hurdle, we'll get more. But then there was this kind of notion like, you know, you guys have a lot, of, lot going on. Maybe you should put this on the back burner. And that was like, you know, maybe a month after we interviewed Rose. And we were like, put this on the back burner. Why, why would we ever put this on the back burner? Like that makes no sense. So were you were, were rich? Like, were you getting this direction from the attorneys exclusively, or were you getting it from news executives, your superiors as well? News executives, people who are privy to what we had just, the people we had interviewed and all that we were working on. And that was the message from them saying, you know, you know what? You guys are busy. Put this on the back burner. Maybe focus on some other things for the time being. And we fortunately said to ourselves, "We're we're not going to do that. We're going to hit the gas." But privately, you know, we'll tell them, "Okay, maybe we're we're putting it on the back burner." But we we knew we had a tiger by the tail, so to speak. At what point did you and Ronan Farrow understand or get the news that? If this story was going to become public, it was going to become public uh, through another publication, not anything to do with NBC. Well, ultimately, that came towards the end of the summer of 2017. It was a very uh, pivotal time for the story. NBC Legal and NBC Universal Legal had approved the story, the elements of our scripts and and whatnot, and then there was a decision for the executives at NBC, Noah Oppenheim, the president, and um, there was a reluctance to 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 proceed, and so they subjected it to a another review by um, what they called a date, like it was a, a group they convened of Dateline producers, mm-hmm. and at that point, we started to wonder like. What's what's going on here? Like, why? If this thing is legally approved, what's what's the reluctance? But ultimately, it came down to a, a period of about a week where they started telling us to cancel interviews. We had interviews set up with rape victims of Weinstein in California and whatnot, and they said, "No, you can't go do those." And so Ronan and I realized kind of what was happening, unfortunately, and we said, um, "Look." We had, we'd already interviewed Kenaletta. He'd been a big help to us throughout the process of, from The New Yorker. Kenaletta's a New Yorker writer. Mm-hmm. And he said, I think you guys got the story, but I really don't see NBC running this. But 
you seem to have the goods. If you run into any problems, let me know, and I can contact the New Yorker for you. So in that week, we said, look, I think it's time to reach out to David Remnick. Uh, I don't think NBC is publishing this. And so there were a couple things that happened. We reached out to – well, Ronan reached out to David Remnick, and at the same time, they were ordering us not to continue shoot. So it was we, – we were basically – creating a life raft for the story, the story, if you will. Did you, did the two of you resign from NBC or, or your, your severance from NBC and Ronan's severance? Uh, how did that, how was, how did that manifest itself? So we were, Ronan and I, even though we were a team for several years, we had, we were, we had different contracts. Ronan was a contracted employee, like a, I think a freelancer at that point. I was a staff employee. So I could not leave, and Ronan could leave. So we decided that he would leave with the story. I stayed behind, uh, and ultimately I knew at that point, too, that if NBC was killing this story, that we, we ultimately had a second, arguably bigger story on our hands uh, with NBC killing it. And so I decided, you know, if I'm going to be here, I'm going to stay and I'm going to try and report this out internally over the course of however long I'm going to be here, which ended up being, I ended up resigning a year to the day uh, when they, when they ordered me to stop reporting. At this point within the circles of, of NBC, uh, what, if any information did you hear either from official sources or through water cooler conversation, did you hear about the conduct of Matt Lauer? Well, you mean in, after after we took the story to New Yorker, right? Or or before, before or, 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 or I guess my question is: at at what point you're working on this huge story that is going to really it's it's going to absolutely blow Harvey Weinstein uh, out of the water? Right. Uh, it's it's going to destroy him and. Uh, potential business relationships that he may have with, with Universal, which owns NBC. You've got all kinds of potential really big bombshell connections that are exploding. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering, as all this is going on, are you hearing anything internal about the rumors about uh, Matt Lauer that eventually became their own huge story? Well, I was hearing rumors about Matt Lauer and stories about Matt Lauer from literally the day I walked into NBC News years earlier, but I was also hearing those same stories when I was at ABC. Okay. So that it was well known that Matt was, you know, was uh, Matt. having affairs and whatnot. Um, the, the relevance to our investigation with Weinstein, it did, we didn't connect the dots. I didn't connect the dots until after the story had gone to The New Yorker Mm-hmm. And we realized that there was all sorts of pressure being applied legally uh, by Weinstein's attorneys, and there was there were these calls, uh, and there was this kind of um, concerted effort with AMI, which is American Media, and there were conversations with there were 15 different conversations with NBC executives, and so we couldn't really connect the dots until afterwards. And then it made perfect sense mm-hmm. what had happened. Okay. And by so, that point, they had fired, fired Matt. 
Right. So anyway. uh, the story the story walks out of NBC. It walks out with Ronan Farrell. You're still working on the inside, uh, obviously ob- observing what's taking place. It is it is mm-hmm. published in the New Yorker. It becomes a huge story. It it sets all other investigative reporters, uh, you know, searching around for the same thing, uh, both uh, in Los Angeles uh, and in uh, in New York, where the story is is being worked from. And uh, this becomes one of the biggest stories of the past 50 years as it relates to popular culture and literally changing society. I mean, Hollywood changed. This was a bombshell that went to the heart of Hollywood, the most important person in Hollywood with all kinds of connections. And this guy is getting blown out of the water. And then there's this second story about how one of the major news organizations in the world is trying to kill it. They caught this story and now they're trying to kill it. We'll talk more with Rich McHugh when we continue on Beyond the Beltway. A new exhibit from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Stay tuned. Rock on TV. Artifacts from the Jackson 5, Sonny and Cher, Elvis, Cindy Lauper, ZZ Top, Eric Clapton, and more. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications, 360 North State Street, Chicago. From Bandstand to Gaga. Let's rock on TV. For info and tickets, visit museum.tv. Experience the pure holiday magic of Goodman Theater's A Christmas Carol. For over four decades, the heartwarming story of Scrooge's discovery of kindness and empathy has enchanted more than a million theatergoers of all ages. The Chicago Tribune calls it a beloved holiday tradition that tugs at all the right heartstrings. Performances run November 16th through December 29th only. Get tickets for A Christmas Carol today at goodmantheater.org. We continue on Beyond the Beltway. Our guest is Rich McHugh, and he is an investigative uh, journalist who worked with Ronan Farrow uh, and was a partner on the huge story Catch and Kill. And again, uh, I, I recommended this book highly uh, a couple of months ago, uh, if you're looking for a great gift for the holidays, Catch and Kill is a great one. It's a story of not only this monumental uh, change in, in, in society and the Me Too movement uh, spawned by this, this horrible story, but also it's the story of intrigue uh, at one of the major news organizations in the world. And again, uh, that's uh, one of the things, obviously, that, that catches our eye here uh, uh, every Sunday night. Uh, Rich, when the story broke, uh, how, how did NBC initially respond to the story and then how have they responded to the book since it's been out? They, uh, so the, the story, our reporting ended up going to the New Yorker. The New Yorker, Ronan spent, I think, about five weeks and got it in print. Uh, I think it was October 2017. And when the, the story initially came out, um, mind you, there was reporting that came out about five days earlier from the New York Times maybe it was three days earlier or whatever it was. Um, NBC didn't really pay much attention to it. ABC put like devoted, you know, 10 minutes to it. CBS devoted five minutes to it on their morning show. NBC like gave it like a minute's worth of coverage. So for all intents and purposes, the, the Harvey Weinstein investigation didn't really exist at, at NBC. 
and I wrote in a Vanity Fair article that I wrote last month, I talked about the fact that they, at the end of one of their segments, they came on the air and said, NBC cannot independently verify uh, the allegations, you know, put forth in, in, in this reporting, which was an absolute lie because we had, we knew we had had that and we'd been working on it for eight months at NBC. Um, and, and by the way, just for those uh, who were following the Kavanaugh hearings, uh, there was a there was an allegation against Brett Kavanaugh, uh, which was played significantly on NBC Nightly News, and there was they were not able to verify that at all, and yet they they reported the allegation. So you have sort of a uh, you know dichotomy of uh, their decision making. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, Rich, uh, one other thing. Uh, this is this is. Uh, uh, when did you start working uh, as an investigative journalist uh, with NBC? What what year? I came at the end of 2014 or beginning of 2015. 2014. Okay, I joined okay. as a, a supervising producer in the investigative unit. Yeah. I want to I want to share an observation that I had as I was listening to you and Ronan in this great lecture that I, that I heard uh, uh, as part of, uh, you know, Ideas Week in, in Chicago. But as you were telling your story, I was reflecting on, on some similar circumstances, at least I saw them as similar circumstances, to an interview that was done with Juanita Broderick by Lisa Myers of NBC, right on the cusp of the uh, impeachment hearings into Bill Clinton. And it was a story of Juanita, Bryan, uh, Juanita Broderick rather complained that her story was never fully released. NBC said that they basically had killed the story. Uh, Lisa Myers made a couple of comments about it, but was she was not very uh, aggressive in pursuing the story. But I saw a similarity of uh, of cover-up by NBC not to release a devastating piece of information on a sexual nature, only this was charges against uh, charges of rape against the President of the United States. I saw a similar cover-up by NBC then as I was reading and hearing you and Ronan discuss chapter and verse as it relates to the Harvey Weinstein story. Now, am I, am I beyond the realm of reality or possibility in your mind? Is that just a crackpot idea, or is there? do you see some similarities between the way NBC acted then and acted in your case? Not at all. In fact, Juanita Broderick reached out to me, um, and we've talked and kind of compared notes Mm-hmm. Uh, after I wrote my, my story in Vanity Fair last month. Uh-huh. Um, I think there's, there's unfortunately, there's a trend there. There's a saying amongst, you know, producers and reporters at NBC that NBC likes to be second um, because there's just less risk in, uh, in, in going, you know, less risk in not being first. If you're first, you, you, you face all sorts of uh, heat legally and mm-hmm. PR-wise, and so... It's much easier not to not to be out in front on stories like this, and um, I don't think you're wrong at all. No, I, I think that I've heard from Juanita. I've heard from another person who's working on another very powerful story involving uh, a president uh, that was that was killed at NBC, 
And um, I think there's a lot to be said there. I think there's, there's dots to be connected yet. And do you see uh, similarity to your story about what recently happened at ABC with a reporter uh, being told to kill a story about uh, Jeffrey Epstein? Is there, are there similar footprints there, fingerprints there? You know, I think, I think networks all face tremendous pressure because they are financial. There's, there's revenue streams coming in that, are, that they depend on. And so it's very difficult for networks to really go all in on investigative reporting. So it's very possible that the, the palace put undue pressure on ABC. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But in your case, it. obviously, you, you were a, you were a, a, a hardworking troop, uh, literally, uh, you know, on the front lines. And uh, the fact that your boss at NBC News... Uh, they work for a much larger company that relies on Hollywood and show business, and you were taking, yep. you were doing a story that literally was taking down the king of Hollywood, the top guy in Hollywood was being uh, was being thrown off his uh, pedestal uh, because of the actions and the conduct of you and Ronan Farrell. I congratulate you very much. I thank you very much for being with us tonight. I cannot recommend the book enough as a holiday gift. To catch and kill. And again, uh, Rich McHugh, thank you very much for being with us tonight on Beyond. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Our thanks also to Art Sear and Stephanie Hitt and Doug Truax for being here. Our thanks to Fritz Coleman and Andrew Marshall for their assistance in the production of this program. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. See you next. Bruce Dumont, so long from Chicago. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career that I could be proud of. At DAV, we're on a mission, helping veterans of all generations get the benefits they've earned. I'm Cece. My victory was finishing my education. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. The economy is not working for everybody, especially those in jobs where unscrupulous businesses keep wages lower by hiring millions of illegal workers. Those businesses could use the government's e-verify system to prevent illegal hiring, but they refuse. What's best for the country? Let businesses continue to hire illegal workers or require e-verify, raise wages, and recruit left-behind Americans? See what voters want at eVerifyWorks.com. Paid for by Numbers USA, because numbers... GTG, BRB, OMW, be there in a few. You may think that these kinds of texts are fine because of their length, and you can easily send them at a stoplight. But no, answering one text can take your attention away from the road for five seconds. And traveling at 55 miles an hour, that's enough time to travel the length of a football field. Make good decisions. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Project Yellow Light noise and the ad council chris domine is a husband and a father chris is an athlete chris is even an iron man 
But 10 years ago, Chris was facing a very different story because his kidneys were failing. Basically, the doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant and if you don't do dialysis, you, you are going to die. Fortunately, Chris received a second chance at life, made possible by an organ donor. You know, your well-being changes from loss of hope to hope to better times ahead. More than 100 million people in America are registered organ, eye, and tissue donors, people of every age and ethnicity, because they believe it's the right thing to do. Imagine what you can make possible by leaving behind the gift of life. Learn more and sign up as an organ, eye, and tissue donor. Go to organdonor.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.